0: Good evening, church. It's great to be here. Again, good to see all of you out this evening. Flip my bulletin back there. I'm going to be reading three different passages here for our text this evening. Um, But if you'd want to turn to Matthew chapter 12 verses 9 through 14, you can uh, see the narrative there of this uh, miraculous healing that Jesus has upon this man. And then I'm also going to look at a couple of the other Gospels. Mark 3, 1 through 6, and Luke 6, 6 through 10. Uh, These are the synoptic Gospels, little variation in in what the writers wrote. Uh, But again, if they all said the same exact thing word for word, we may question and say, oh man, they all copied the same things off each other. But it's nice to be able to see a little bit of variation in some of these things, knowing that they were led by the Holy Spirit, but also were able to use a little bit of what they saw whenever they were penning these things for the Gospels. So the theme of our message this this evening is Jesus Heals a Man. Excuse me. I'm reading from the New American Standard, Matthew 12. I'm going to start there in verse 8 and read down through verse 14. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned him, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, Will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. So the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Mark 3, 1 through 6 reads this way. He entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up, come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Luke chapter 6, 6 through 10. Again, New American Standard. It says, On another Sabbath he went, excuse me, on another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up, come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Pretty comparable there. I'm not going to get into all the little nuances of the differences there. I think you probably picked some of those up real quick. Um, But there are a a little bit of differences, and that's good because they add to the story. And I'm going to just put them in as if they were all one thing when we go through our uh, information this evening. So what is the occasion here? Shortly before this takes place, Jesus had been criticized for gathering and eating grain as he and the disciples passed through the field on the Sabbath day. So they're walking through this grain field. The men are stripping off some of the heads of the grain as they walk through. And they're rubbing them in their hands. And uh, they're eating it. Getting a little snack um, as they're, they're heading. And um, Luke 6, 1 through 1 and 2 says this. Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Hmm. Jesus defends his actions by comparing it to what David did, eating the showbread. If you just keep reading the text there in Luke 6, verses 3 through 4, say this, Jesus answered them and said, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone. And he gave it to his companions. So, Jonathan told him, hey, dad's going to kill you. So he takes off. Couldn't grab any of his weapons or anything. He runs and uh, talks with uh, Abimelech, I believe it's his name, uh, the priest. Told him he was on a secret message, uh, mission in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. You can go home and read those chapters. And um, he said, hey, I, I need something to eat. You know, for me and the men are here, what do you got? And he says, All we got is the showbread. So he gives him the showbread in the holy place, gives him five loaves of it that they can take and they can eat. And then he asks him, Do you have any weapons here? Do you have a sword or anything? And he goes, Yeah, well, I have the sword uh, that was Goliath, and you killed him, and you brought it here, and it's behind the ephod. Um, Go ahead, take it. He said, oh, that's a great sword. I'll take it. So he takes off. His brothers and all of his family meet up with him. They go to some various places, and um, priests and prophets tell him, hey, don't stay here. Not safe. Go here. Go do this. Go do that. There was a guy who was part of uh, Saul's entourage. His name was Dog. Dog the Edomite. He was there with Abimelech and David and heard and saw what had happened. Well, he went back and met up with David and Saul's trying to figure out where David's at. And um, he's wondering, hmm, I wonder who helped him, what's going on? And Dog said, well, Abimelech helped him. The priest there and told him what to do and gave him the, the sword, gave him food. So... They go and call for Abimelech, and he comes, and he brings all the other priests, 85 of them. And what happened? Saul said, kill them for helping David. That's how much he didn't like David at this point in time. And uh, his servants are like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not killing the priests. There's no way. So... He turns around, dog, he said, what about you? Dog turned around and he killed the 85 priests. I don't know if he just went berserk or killed them one at a time. What happened? But he does that. So the only person that criticized David for taking that showbread that was supposed to be eaten by the priest was King Saul. And he went and did evil and killed the 85 priests who helped David. Jesus compared what he had done to something the priest did every Sabbath. Baking the showbread, circumcising babies, thus showing that mercy and necessity override strict observance of the law. Matthew 12, 5 and 6 says, Or have you not read in the law that On the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. But I say to you that something greater than the temple was here. Something greater than that law, something greater than the temple, me, is here. I'm not doing anything wrong. And this is what he tells these Pharisees. So, he goes into the Sabbath... Must have been the next Sabbath that followed that one that these events took place. And they follow him, and they're following him, trying to find out some way to accuse him, to get him. So first point is, these fiendish Pharisees, these perversely diabolical religious leaders, they were perverting the law, they were diabolical, They were scheming. They were plotting. They wanted to kill a man. They wanted to kill the Son of God. And what's it say there in Mark 3, 2, the first part of the verse? They were watching him. When he came into the synagogue, they knew that guy there with the withered hand was there. And they were watching him. What's he going to do? Hmm. They wanted to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Why? So that they might accuse him. Mark 3, 2, the second half of that verse. You know, they took no thought for the handicapped man. They had no compassion, no love, no concern or thought for this man being made well. They didn't care about him. Is that a good thing? to not care about somebody when they're sick or when they're having some issues or problems. No, we ought to care. But they didn't care. They just cared on how they could catch Jesus. You see, their only aim was to trap Jesus while breaking their standards of the law. The standards that their elders made When you look for all these things, it's what they came up with. Not necessarily what it says back in the scriptures. And why did they hate Jesus so much? It was because of envy of him. Matthew chapter 27 verse 18 says, For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over, but they used their zeal. For the law as a pretext. Matthew twelve, ten says, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And again, the only reason was, it was to see if they could accuse him of breaking their elders traditions. Jesus answered with questions of his own to them. Would you rescue a sheep if it fell in a pit on the Sabbath? That sheep's valuable to them, huh? That's silver in their little pouch. That's, that's some good kosher meat that we can eat. That's maybe a sacrifice that I could make. That's important. But they, he does, they don't answer. And he asked them another question. How much more valuable then is a man? He may have even pointed to the man than a sheep. Can you see this taking place in the middle of the synagogue and all these people watching this dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees and the things that are being said? You know, we all know that a man is worth a lot more when compared to a sheep the Pharisees knew this also, but they were not thinking reasonably. They just wanted to destroy Jesus or ruin his credibility any way that they could. It's interesting that Jesus says to them after they don't answer him. So then it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Matthew 12:12. 12, 12. So it's okay to do good then, you're telling me. Because you, I know you would go and save your sheep if it fell in a pit. So it's okay to do good for this guy, right? We must remember that the Sabbath was made for man's profit to save life. The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the the Sabbath? What's the Sabbath? It's a day of rest. So that they'd have a chance to rest from their labors and their work and what the Egyptians were putting them through. And he didn't want their animals to have to work seven days a week. He didn't want them to have to work seven days a week. So they had a day off. Rest your animals. Rest yourself. And it's a good day also to Worship the Lord for sure. Think about a stop sign. A stop sign is to do what? Save life, right? What about the speed limit? The speed limit is given to save life, right? But when the stoplight or the speed limit gets in the way of saving life what happens? You violate them. The EMS worker, the fireman, the policeman, whoever. Maybe if it's you and something's happened and you're trying to get to the emergency room or the hospital, you're not caring about the stop light or the stop sign or the speed limit. You wanna get the person where he can go And have his life hopefully saved They couldn't answer Jesus But they did go and conspire With the Herodians To kill him Mark 3, 6 says The Pharisees went out And immediately began to conspire With the Herodians Against him As to how they might destroy him Who were the Pharisees? They were the the strictest, legalist, Jewish people of the day. Who were the Herodians? The Herodians were those who wanted political independence for the Jewish people by restoring a member of the Herodian dynasty to the throne in Judea. And most of the time, the Herodians and the Pharisees did not see eye to eye. And they fought each other. But, hatred makes strange bedfellows, doesn't it? At no other time would the Pharisees have gone for help with the Herodians. But they wanted that political help, and they were going to try to get the religious help And pull those two things together and both point fingers and say, Jesus is breaking the law and he's doing what's wrong. And he's saying he's king and he's going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days and so on and so forth. The Pharisees hated them. But again, since they hated Jesus more And since the Herodians were this political force, they united against Jesus. And why? Because they themselves were filled with rage, according to Luke chapter 6, verse 11. And discussed together what they might do to Jesus. They were filled with rage. They were filled with madness. Who? The Pharisees the Herodians were. What does this word in the Greek, madness or rage mean? It's annoy ya. Hmm. Annoy That's where we get the word annoy. And this word back then meant folly, stupidity, rage. No better way to destroy a man than to be to fill him with madness and folly and stupidity and rage. Beware, Christian, of these types of people who would attack you as a Christian, attack God, attack Jesus, attack the church, attack his word, who have this type of rage and madness within them. Hmm. Just... Kind of getting through my introduction. I'm teasing. But to some, the continuation of a tradition or a system is more important than saving a person's soul or giving glory to God. Do you suppose there are any church members like the Pharisees today? If there are members that way, how can we... Avoid being that way ourselves. But Matthew 9.13 says, But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Our second point is, after we talked about these fiendish, diabolical Pharisees, is the courageous Jesus. You see, he knew their thoughts, Luke 6, 8. But he knew what they were thinking. He knew both their thoughts. He knew their motives. And you know, Jesus knows that about us too. Hebrews 4:12 says, "For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart." Jesus was able to judge their hearts and their thoughts, their motives. And he can do that with us too. What does he do? He says to the handicapped man, Hey, get up and come on up here. This is what's going on here. Come on up here to me. Verse 8. So what happened? The man got up and he comes up and obeys Jesus and and listens to him. You know, Jesus wasn't going to duck the issue here. If the man was willing to obey, then Jesus was going to make him whole, even at the risk of being persecuted for it. And what happened? The man obeyed. And Jesus ultimately does heal him here. Then Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in Luke 6, 9. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on a Sabbath? To save life or to destroy it. You see, when man is awake, he's either thinking how he can do good or he's thinking how he can do evil. The Pharisees were not thinking of doing good, but they were plotting Jesus' death, how they could accuse him, how they could take him to court. How they could take him before the Sanhedrin or the high priest. They wanted to destroy him. And they didn't care anything about the handicapped man. They don't care if his life was going to be destroyed or if he'd ever be able to be made well. You see, and Jesus knew it. And he knew. And those men there, they knew that he knew what they were thinking. And what happened? They just sat there and kept silent. They didn't say anything. Mark 3, 4. Afraid to say that Jesus was wrong because he knows what would happen with the group that was there in the synagogue. And they were maddened by their hate for him. And because of that, they weren't going to admit he was right. Right? that the sheep was valuable and that they would save it and that that man was more valuable than the sheep and he should be healed, even if it was the Sabbath. Because they wouldn't answer and they kept silent, what did he do? He looked around at them with anger. He had a righteous indignation. Mark 3, 5. The Greek word here for anger is org indignation, abhorrence. You see, Jesus loved sinners, but he hated sin. Now, we might say, okay, Jesus was angry at those men. Well, when's it all right for us to be angry? Well, it's okay to be angry or to have righteous indignation about something if it's righteous anger, God-centered So we must understand if it is offensive against God and anger for God's sake, not for one's own sake, then we could say, okay, it's okay. But anger is wrong when it leads us to do something in a sinful way, like maybe yelling, screaming, cussing, maybe getting a fist fight with somebody. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. So there could be a time when it's okay to be angry, but what should you do with the anger? You need to deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on the anger. Don't let it fester and build overnight. And you sit there. You know, and the next day you wake up and you. What am I going to do about this? I'm going over there and kicking that guy's dog. You see, that kind of anger is bad because it will give the devil opportunity to get you to sin. And do something that's not right. See, Jesus was grieved at the hardness of these Pharisees' hearts. Mark 3, 5. What is this kind of hardness? It was the, the dullness of mind of where they were. The blindness to not to be able to see right from wrong. And if they did see right from wrong, they were choosing the sinful wrong thing. Their stubbornness, their, their pride... And not saying, yeah, Jesus, you're right. Their stupidity and still keep plunging forward even though what they were doing was wrong. Their callousness towards the situation and that poor man. The hardness of heart causes people to use God's name in vain. To profane his day. To neglect his word and his church. And without any remorse turn their backs on God and His people all together. But what does Jesus say, the courageous Christ? He said, stretch out your hand in Matthew 3, 5. And by the time He was able to stretch His hand out, where you could see it from His robe, it re- was restored to normal, like the other hand. Matthew 12, 13. Immediately, instantaneously, not a little each day, but all at once. It was a miracle above and beyond what could naturally happen. It was over and above all the normal laws of nature. This shows his creative power and the power over our physical bodies. It was a wonderful, miraculous event. We go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, Dave, for me to fix your hand, we're going to have to operate. And uh, from what I can feel and I can see there, so I need you to go get some x-rays, then bring those x-rays back. So I go and get the x-rays, come back. He says, okay, now, I, I could see the fracture out here, but I don't know what all nerves and everything's going on here. You need to go get an MRI. So you go and you get the MRI. You get all that data. He says, okay, while we're waiting for that, I need you to go get me some blood work. And um, we're going to have to probably operate here in a couple days. So I need you to do some pre-op surgery things. I need you to go get an EKG. I need you to fill out a history of all the surgeries you had, all the medicines you're taking, uh, all the medicines that you have reactions to, and um, compile all this information and bring it back into me. And you go back in and he has now the x-rays, the MRIs, your medical history, you've done all these tests for him. And he says, okay, now I'm gonna have to go talk to my team of doctors and uh, see what they would think would be the best course. I, I see kind of what I would do here, but I want to make sure that these guys would, would say to do the same thing. So then next day you go back in again. He says, I talked to them. They all concur with me. This is the, the route to take. He said, so uh, Friday, come on in. Be here at 7 o'clock. Uh, don't eat anything after midnight. Come on in. We're going to do this uh, surgery for you, and a uh, procedure could take an hour or two. Then you're going to be in recovery for an hour or two, and then we'll go ahead and discharge you. And uh, then after it heals up for about a week, I need you to come back in. I'm going to look at it, see how things are going. And then we're going to figure out a plan of attack here for you to go through rehab, And uh, it's probably gonna take 12 weeks, maybe 16 weeks worth of rehab, and if everything's healing up good, uh, then we're gonna start to get you on some light weights and doing some things. And uh, hopefully if things work out by next year about this time, hopefully everything worked well with the surgery and you followed all of our advice and counsel and whatnot, and uh, hopefully your arm will be better. Uh, If not, hopefully it'll at least be the same And there is that 25% chance that it could be worse. Did Jesus go and tell that to the guy? Come on up here and come forward. And put him through all that. See what we have to go through? That's not what happens with a miracle. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And he was healed. He was better. Instantaneous. Miraculous. You know, Jesus could have had him come up there and saw how people were acting. And Jesus might have saved himself some trouble here. If he had taken the easy way out. Maybe told the guy, hey, why don't you uh, see me after we disperse here around back and I'll heal you. Or, you know what, hey, why don't you come over to uh, John's house. He's going to have a nice meal for us, and I'll heal you over there tomorrow. Nothing at all like that. You see, that wasn't Jesus' style. At times, he seemed to be confrontational. Why? Did he enjoy a fight? I don't think so. But when people were wrong, they needed to know about it, even if other people were there. He was telling them. Is there a time for Christians to be confrontational? Well, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.20, Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. Paul told Titus in Titus 1.13, Reprove them severely, that they may be sound in the faith. Jesus told us in Matthew 18 if your brother sins, go. Reprove him in pride. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But that's not all what he said there. If he doesn't, take two or three more back. And if he doesn't listen to them, then take it in front of the church, the people. You see, we need to be patient with others. But not to the point where we compromise with sin. Thirdly, we see here the poor man in the middle. This poor guy that was hurt. Just like the blind man in John 9. He was caught in a crunch there, wasn't he? His right hand was withered. Luke 6.6 6 says, This would be his most important hand unless he was left-handed. But the apocryphal books say that this man who was healed was a mason by trade. These Pharisees, they didn't care if he ever worked again, if his hand was made better and he could go back and build walls or buildings or whatever. And they never rejoiced when one could support his family again after Jesus had healed him. When you really think about it, these Pharisees, these men were really cruel. In reality, since Jesus only spoke a word and the man only moved his arm a little bit, was the Sabbath even broken to the strictness of their their elders' tradition? It wasn't. He said, stretch your hand out. What's that? He wasn't picking anything up, wasn't lifting anything. He didn't stand there and pound nails or whatever. He just moved his arm. Does that work? How did those people get there? They had to walk from their homes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as long as it wasn't more than nine-tenths of a mile. You see I think this proves to us that the Pharisees never doubted at all that Jesus could heal this man. Therefore, this is proof that he really could do miracles. And at the risk of mockery and ridicule, this man he obeyed Jesus and he received a blessing. You know, we can too. If we listen to the Word and the teachings of Jesus and His men, we can receive a blessing, the forgiveness of our sins, and we can go and spend eternity in heaven if we remain faithful to the end. In the conclusion, Jesus heals this man, answers His critics. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and every other day of the week. What is more important and has Eternal significance is, is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he Lord of your life right now? Have you obeyed the gospel? I hope so. But if there's somebody here that hasn't obeyed the gospel, why not now? We're going to be standing and sing a hymn of invitation. And uh, just need to ask a few questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, Son of the living God? John 3.16, are you willing to repent of your sins? Acts 2.38. Are you willing to confess that you believe that Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, before men? Matthew 10.42, Acts eight thirty seven? And are you then willing to be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins? To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Acts 2.38 says. The water's warm. The robes are ready. We can take your confession and have you baptized in a matter of minutes, if that would be your wish tonight. And remember, when you come up out of that watery grave, that's not the end. That's the beginning. When you become a Christian, then you need to get on that straight and narrow path. You need to put on the full armor of God. And you need to fight the good fight of the faith and endure to the end to be saved.